0: Good morning, Grace. All right. One thing you might not know about me is I love to watch movies as a kid. And as a kid who grew up in kind of the 80s and early 90s, I think I might have grown up in the golden age of movie making. Now, if you're a young person, hang tight with me. Okay. I'm going to sound like a little bit of an old man right here. Okay. Your Marvel movies are great. I get it. Okay, so hang tight. But the reason it was so exciting to me is that I think special effects were kind of becoming a thing. And I started to see some things with my own eyes that I I didn't know how to comprehend. I didn't know how it was happening. I I would just watch a movie sometimes and marvel and wonder, how do they do that? Like, I just, I just have to know that, and the, the internet didn't exist yet, and so I didn't have any clues, and as a normal kid growing up in Louisiana, I had no connections to the Hollywood movie industry, so it, no one could give me the inside scoop of how they did that. You see, there was a, I think there was a big difference between what I was seeing with my own eyes and what the director and the cast and the crew might have been seeing. I could see the end result, I could see the polished product, I knew some of the lines, I could memorize some of the storylines, but I had no idea how it was being done. I had no idea kind of what was going on behind the camera. Now luckily Google exists now and it helps me go back and learn some of these things. So I'm gonna give you a few examples, right? Here's a couple of great examples. Remember the classic movie Ghostbusters? Okay, yeah, this is what I saw. Giant marshmallow man terrorizing New York City. Like, oh, oh my goodness, this is what it looked like behind the scenes. <laughs> all right, what about this cinematic masterpiece, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, okay? This is what I had nightmares about, okay? But this is what it looked like behind the scenes. All right? Top Gun, you remember, remember this? All those aerial maneuvers, dogfight scenes, all these awesome plane stuff, here's what it looked like behind the scenes. I know, I know we're losing some of the magic here. Okay, I'm sorry to be that guy with you this morning. Titanic, you may remember this epic scene, right? This is what it looked like from a broader perspective. Just a bunch of people in a pool. <laughs> just a bunch of people in a pool. By the way, Jack totally could have fit on the door, okay? All right, that's just my opinion. Now here's, here's the point. I had no idea how to comprehend what I was seeing. I was, in some ways, I was just ignorant to all the things going on behind the scenes that helped make what I was looking at. And so, in that light that I want to spend the next few weeks with you together, because we're going to go through one of the kind of classic narratives of the Old Testament. It's probably one that you're kind of familiar with, but I want to spend a few weeks looking kind of behind the scenes. Personally speaking, this narrative is one of the hardest for me to get my heart around. My head, my head gets it. I get what it's saying in principle, but my heart really does struggle with the full implications of this man's life, what it teaches us, and what it might mean for my life. It's the Old Testament story of Joseph. Now, this story, friends, it's a literary masterpiece. It is full of callbacks and foreshadowing and wordplay and dramatic irony and symbolism all over the place. I mean, it is a fantastic story full of suspense and drama and generational sin and humor and secret identities and remarkable reversals of fortune. I mean, it really is a literary masterpiece, and there's no wonder they've made movies and plays about this. It's this kind of riches to rags to riches to rags to riches, back and forth kind of story. But I need you to know right out of the gate that my conclusion is this. I'm going to let you in on what I think is the secret to this narrative, that this story is not about Joseph. As we're going to see, there is someone working behind the scenes. It's really kind of God's story through Joseph. And so we find the story of Joseph, it starts in the book of Genesis chapter 37, it goes through chapter 50. And if you have your copies of the scriptures and you want to follow along with us today, that's where we're gonna be. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Now this section, chapters 37 through 50 is 14 chapters long. It is kind of a long narrative about God's continued dealings with the children of Israel and their establishment as a people. God has promises, promised them some things. He's covenanted with them some things. And the really big question of the book of Genesis is, how is this all going to work out? How's God going to get himself out of this one? He's kind of painted himself into a corner with these people because much like you and I, they are terribly flawed. And every turn, they keep trying to mess it up. It's almost like they are actively trying to ruin God's plan. And every now and again, in this long narrative we get a glimpse of what the real main character is doing. It doesn't happen a lot, right? There's a lot of human activity here, a lot of striving, a lot of effort, a lot of manipulation, a lot of secrecy. But every now and again, we get a glimpse, right? We get to kind of peek behind the curtain and we get to see what's God up to? What's the real main character doing? What's he up to in all of the midst of this human activity? God doesn't mention that often, but when he is, we should pay attention. And I think realize maybe at the the same level that the things he's doing in Joseph's life, he may be doing in you and I's life as well. And so I really, I wish I had the time, I wish I had half a year to go down into all the awesome, wonderful kind of tidbits and details of the story, but we just have these three weeks together. Now, before we get started, I have one kind of ask, one, one request of you, and it's this. As we take this trip through the narrative, I would love it if we could fight the urge to kind of go to the end of the story, okay? Many of you have read this. You've read it multiple times. You've heard sermon series on it. Okay, you're very familiar with this, and our natural tendency is gonna wanna go to this kind of end of the story, but I think it'd be better for us to kind of sit in it today with Joseph, right? There's this quote from Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat where the narrator is trying to encourage the imprisoned Joseph, right, to not despair too much because he says, we've read the book and you come out on top. But you and I don't have that benefit. Our stories are still being written, our books are still unfolding, and so I think it would be better for us and wiser for us today if we could sit in it with Joseph and maybe ask God to give us some uh, new lessons or some fresh perspectives that we might gain as we kind of travel through this narrative together over the next three weeks. And so I know that's gonna be hard to do, but let's, let's give it our best effort, okay? So here's the plan. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right out of the gate. Here's the big idea, the outline for the three weeks we're going to spend together. There are three times in three different chapters in this narrative where God shows up. It's only at certain moments where we get these kind of peaks behind the scenes. And when God does show up in a text, what he's doing, his activity is repeated multiple times so that we don't miss the point. The author is saying, look, like a flashing billboard, don't miss this, don't miss this, pay attention, pay attention, here's what God is up to in the midst of this story. It's actually one of the hallmarks of Hebrew kind of literary style is this repetition for the sake of emphasis and for the sake of heightening the message. And so we're going to spend time in three different chapters, chapter 39, chapter 41, and chapter 40, 45. So let's dig in. Each week, we're going to spend just a little bit of time. I'm going to try to catch you up as briefly as I can with some of the narrative things that are happening, some of the, some of the things that are happening in the kind of the human portion of the story, right? Like what's happening on stage in front of us. And then as we come to the moments where, where God shows up, we'll, we'll slow down and we'll try to make sure we don't miss the point here. Now, when we meet Joseph in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, his family is full of conflict and dysfunction. We have a patriarch, Jacob, who has 12 sons with multiple different women. They all live and work in the same area. And the children of one particular wife, Rachel, are the favorites and get this kind of preferential type of love. It sounds almost like the start of a really bad reality show, but it's, it's in the Bible and it gets even worse from there. Joseph's given special gifts by his father. Again, this preferential type of love. And Joseph's the kind of young man who is kind of giving bad reports about the work his brothers are doing. And he has these God-ordained moments where he has these dreams, these God-given dreams where he comes to believe that one day his entire family will come and bow down to him. One day he will rule over them in some ways. He has a sense of divine destiny, but he also has this kind of total lack of self-awareness to actually tell his brothers about this. It's like, hey, guys, gather around. Hey, hey, I know our, our family situation is like super volatile right now, like like C4 and fertilizer and gasoline, but hey, here's some fire right into the middle of it. And so envy and jealousy and strife and tension, everyone's flaws are on display. Jacob is this loving father to some of his children, but he's, he's kind of passive and indifferent to others. And, and friends, if anyone should have known the dangers and the harm of parental favoritism in the life of a family, it should have been Jacob. That was his story as well. But the generational sin kind of continues on and on. Reuben is this firstborn son who's a failed leader of his brothers. Judah is cold and calculating. Joseph, he's, although he's depicted as morally good, we get this impression that he's a little bit maybe immature, maybe bratty. At, at minimum, he's woefully unaware of how his actions are impacting other people around him. Hatred and deception are the traits of God's chosen family. It's not really a Christmas card kind of feel. And so it comes to a head, this kind of growing family dysfunction and conflict, and Joseph's brothers devise a plan to kill him. But at the very last moment, one of the brothers steps in and says, hey, guys, I know we could kill him. I totally want to kill him, okay? But what if we made money off of him? And so they sell him to a passing caravan of slave traders. They lie to their father. They grab his coat. They cover it in blood. They tell him an animal destroyed him, and he ends up in Egypt of all places. And then after a brief kind of narrative aside in chapter 38 about Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, and his own dysfunctional family, we get to the beginning of chapter 39. Joseph is, has been sold to an Egyptian official named Potiphar, and he's serving as a slave, and it's here. It's here that we get our first kind of moment, our first behind-the-scenes kind of peek at what God is doing. And the author, he does not want you to miss the point. And so four times in this chapter, he's gonna repeat this one phrase so you don't miss it. And it starts this way, chapter 39. The first two times, we get it right out of the gate. Chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now, a few things of note here. The author wants to be really clear who's involved here. Those all-capitalized versions of the word Lord that you see in your, script, in, your, in, your, in your Bible, that's actually the very specific and very special Hebrew word for Yahweh God. The author's very clear. The God of the universe is with Joseph and he's showing him favor because he's with him. The Lord is the one causing Joseph to succeed. And so before you attribute this uh, this success to Joseph's ability or talent, he wants to make sure you don't miss kind of who's behind it all. Who's causing everything to succeed for Joseph, right? Because it's gonna appear like Joseph has this kind of golden touch throughout his story but it's God doing this. He's the one really causing it. It's Yahweh God with him and his presence with him. Now I also find it especially powerful that even Potiphar could recognize that God was with Joseph. So the outside world notices when the hand of God is on someone. It's obvious that even a pagan outsider could know and sense and see the presence of God with someone. But then as you keep reading chapter 39, the tables are turned. Joseph's kind of working his way up in the organization. And then all of a sudden, we have this account of a false accusation made against a morally upright man. Joseph does nothing wrong. It's the second time in his story that Joseph's cloak or his robe is gonna be used against him to lie about him. And he finds himself unjustly and unmeritedly in jail. And I'm sure wondering, What about those dreams, God? Is this this really what you had destined for me? Was that that some sort of cruel kind of joke? I'm sure there were moments where he was full of anger and uh, maybe resent and bitterness and cynical, right? There have been these times in my own life where, Someone else's choices, someone else's sin left this kind of wake of just bitterness and despair in my heart, and it doesn't feel like kind of the Lord is with me kind of moments. But you need to know before you come to the conclusion that the Lord was only with him in the rise or his success, the author makes sure you know that even after this false accusation, right, he faithfully runs from temptation, he honors God, he does the right thing. Before you draw the conclusion that somehow God deserted him, the end of chapter 39 also wants to make sure you know, right? In verse 21 of chapter, of chapter 39, it says this, after he goes to jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, chapter 39 as a whole, okay, four times, two in each bookend of the chapter. It's very clear. The Lord was with Joseph and in very different sets of circumstances, in the kind of rise or success in the organization and also the fall. God's with him. And so don't pass this over too quickly because it's going to seem like there are years of a man's life wasted because of evil done to him. Right? Is, this is not a happy story right out of the gate. And the most haunting part and maybe the most intriguing part to me and the part that i have having a hard time wrapping my heart around still as a believer for all these years is in verse 21 when he says, but the Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in jail. Those last two words were mine. Okay. The Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love and favor in jail. And that word steadfast love there, it's a beautiful Hebrew word. It's one you're gonna read all over the Old Testament. It's a beautiful word with a rich history of usage. It's the word hesed. And it's this kind of loyal love, the loyalty of a covenant partner. It's this faithful, reliable, unfailing, unshakable kind of love. The God never left him. He showed him kindness and mercy and steadfast love. It's very clear, right? The book ends of this chapter, in both places, both in the ascension to a higher position and success that was evident to everyone around him, and also in the pit and the dungeon of false imprisonment and no justice whatsoever, Yahweh God was with him. He was not alone. He was not left to fend for himself. God was with him. And so I think this is one of those moments where we have to, again, fight our urge. We have to be really careful to, to kind of go to the end of the story and go, well, it all works out for Joseph in the end. No, let's, let's sit in this moment, friends. I know we tend to remember the middle of a story in light of the end of the story. That's our tendency. But that, that is not how Joseph experienced this. This, is, this. That is not how Joseph experienced this. He spends a decade in slavery, faithful service maybe, hoping for a way out, only to go to prison to waste away. His good years gone, right? We see this these years, these slavery and prison years, this whole saga of dreams, slavery, prison. This was age 17 to 30 of Joseph's life. Many of his prime years wasted. At least that's what it looks like on the stage. But the payoff, the only clue we have is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, causing him to succeed. Now, here's the big question. Here's, you know, it's kind of this idea, what am I gonna do with this kind of flashing billboard, this kind of obvious message that the Lord was with Joseph? Like, what what do I need to learn here? What do I need to take away? How might I need to apply this in light of kind of this kind of clear message of chapter 39? And as I read and studied and thought and prayed about this passage with you, there were kind of three things that came to mind, three truths, three, three truths that came from chapter 39 that I think we can hang our hats on, and then the corresponding applications that make sense in light of those truths. So the first one is, what if you could, friends, what, what if you could believe that God is with you? What if, what if you could believe that God was with you and you could let that truth sink deep, deep down into your souls, right? Do you, do you tend to see God is with you or do you tend to feel like you're walking this life all alone? Can, can you see the hand of God in your success in this life if that's your story? Maybe it wasn't all you. And conversely, can you see the presence of God showing you maybe steadfast love and mercy? in hard times that you're currently going through? Could you see him in those moments that he's giving you glimmers of his presence with you? Now, I don't have a story of 13 years in slavery and prison, but I do have this one story about four months in 2012, okay, I know. It's not a long time, it's a really short amount of time. It's probably because the Lord knows who he's dealing with here. And he he knows how weak I am, and he knows how, how capable I am. But I vividly remember this time in my life. It was the first kind of four months of 2012. And I want to tread lightly here because I I know and love the people involved in this story. I still very much care for them. And one of the things I've learned just in my life is that most of the time, kind of every bump up in leadership I've ever gotten, I've realized that the decisions that are made at those higher levels of leadership are always more complex and challenging than I thought they were from my vantage point down in in the organization. But what happened was after seminary, I was serving in a uh, a church and towards the 2010 and then into 2011, it was probably one of the rockiest patches of this church's existence. There were some struggles and I I don't have the time to go into all that. It was really tough sledding. And in the midst of those kind of couple of years, uh, a number of staff members of mine and friends of mine kind of bolted and said, nope, that's enough. I'm out. And, and, I, and through this rough patch, I kind of stuck around and stayed, I attempted to serve well. I really did try to be as loyal as I could. But the kind of damage of that, that tough season in this particular church, this local body of, of Christ was kind of done. And it kind of, the trajectory of the church wasn't trending in the right direction. And what happened was, the, just financially speaking, the, the church couldn't sustain the level of, of staff that it currently had. And so it came down to this kind of moment where it was gonna be me or the other guy. One of us was gonna get the ax. And of course, right, friends, this is all knowledge after the fact. I would not have described this like this on the Tuesday that this all happened. Okay? Um, They picked the other guy. And there I am. It's January of 2012. I've got a three month old baby, a wife of a few years, no job, having all of the feelings of how does this make sense? God, is is, is this how loyalty and long-suffering and faithful service is gonna be rewarded? But here, friends, the reason I tell you this story is here's what I remember about those four months. I cannot point to many more times in my life where I felt the Lord's presence in real and unique ways than in those first four months of 2012. He was so kind to me in those next few months as we had to kind of figure out what we were gonna do with our lives and how we're gonna buy diapers and formula when the money was gonna run out, how we we're gonna pay the mortgage, if we were gonna to have to move cities or not move cities, what jobs were we gonna have, all of these things. And again, I don't remember much of the details, it was a blur, probably because we had a newborn in the house, okay? But I will, I will never in my life forget, never in my life forget the sense of peace that God was with me in unique ways. He was, he was real to me in those four months and some very, uh, why, really, while, while our life was in complete upheaval, I, He was with me. It made a difference. It was just a small taste. And again, I've got countless stories of this in my life and you probably have countless stories of this in your life as well. And it's, it's ironic, but there's this truism, at least in my life, that we, we tend to feel the Lord's presence most during the kind of most difficult seasons. It just, it just seems to be the reality. I think it's because in those seasons we're more desperate for that or maybe we're just more attuned to that need in our hearts that we're not, that hope that we're not alone. Friends, what, what kind of confidence could you live with if you knew that God was with you? That right now, if you're having success, if things are going well for you, God is with you. He's causing that. He's showing you steadfast love and favor. And you're gonna be tempted to live like it's your doing or that you don't need his presence. That's just your brokenness coming out. And right now, if you're in a season of pain or hurt or despair or trouble or injustice, he's with you. And I know it doesn't feel like it, but maybe there might be some glimmer of his steadfast love or his favor peeking through. He's with us on both sides of that coin. The very same God he hasn't left, he's still where he's always been. And so my encouragement to you is if you're having a hard time believing that the Lord your God is with you, if you're struggling to believe that right now, I think there's maybe one application I'd ask you to do. One thing I'd like you to do this week is just, just do this. Just do a quick search of all the verses in the Bible about the Lord being with his people. Like, Get on Google, go verses about God being with us. It will take you a long time to exhaust that list, friends. It will take you a long time. You'll be overwhelmed. It's almost as if the God of the universe knew that would be a truth that we would need to hear over and over and over and over again. And so he put it all over the scriptures for us. In success, believe the Lord is with you. I know it looks like you're doing awesome. You're doing all the heavy lifting, right? And in hard times, believe that the Lord God is with you. I know it's hard because of all the whys, because of all the heartache and the pain, and you're struggling to sense his nearness and his presence, but the scripture is clear. We have a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We have a savior who promises us that he will be with us even to the end of the age. And so believe that God is with you, friend. Believe that God is with you and live your life accordingly. And then as you do that, I think the second thing you could learn to do, second maybe application, is to trust God for success. Trust God for the success. I think one of the reasons we're so enamored by the Joseph story, why so many of us love it, is because it's a story of faithfulness and long suffering and serving these evil masters well in spite of injustice. And when I think of Joseph's story, I think of how how easy it would have been to just give up after this kind of false imprisonment and being lied about or or just given up in year two of slavery or year five or year seven. And frankly, I'm not sure how Joseph didn't succumb to massive amounts of despair in that 13-year journey that he's going on. I have no concept of how he stayed trusting all of those days because the hard truth of this story is that Joseph did not get the result, at least in the short term, that he wanted or that he deserved. But he held on to his integrity, he held on to his faithfulness, and it was not rewarded in the short term. It was not rewarded on his timetable. Faithfulness is always worth it, right? We learned this last week with Pastor Matt, right? Do not grow weary in doing good. At the proper time, you will reap a reward if you do not give up faithfulness is worth it. Even if it doesn't pay off in all the ways we think it should, should uh, pay off, God doesn't forget. You're not alone. I love Joseph. He never, he never trades away his integrity. Right? Integrity with God is always better than compromise without him. Integrity with God is always better than compromise without God. So keep being faithful, men and women of grace, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. Trust God for the result. And your application this week, if you're feeling the Holy Spirit like, oh yeah, that's the one, Robert, might be this. Would you just ask yourself the question, give yourself some time to reflect this week sometime, maybe on the car ride somewhere, maybe in the shower, maybe in your normal kind of quiet time with God, you could maybe ask this question, where do I need to keep being faithful to God? Or the question I like, the the other part of that, the the flip side of that is, where am I close to giving up because I'm not seeing the results in the short term? Where where am I close to giving up because I'm not seeing the results I want in the short term? And where do I need to trust God for that result? And so if you can, friends, if you can believe that the Lord is with you and you can learn to trust God for the results, I think the final kind of consideration or application for us this morning is is this. Could you, could you just rest in his steadfast love and his favor and his mercy to you? Could you rest in that? This is a question that, that's haunted me. As I, as I read Joseph's story, and I'm still working through it, and, and I want to share it with you is this. Is Would you be willing to kind of gladly welcome, accept that you'd rather have a painful, hard life with God than an easy, comfortable, safe life without him? Would you rather have a painful, hard life with God or a comfortable, easy, safe life without him? Maybe you can consider that question with me this week. Here's one of the things I've noticed on my short time on this earth, is that the saints with the depth of relationship with the Lord that I admire the most, the ones with the richest and most vital spiritual lives, almost to a person, they have stories of sitting in the metaphorical prisons of this life. They may have lacked resources, but they never lacked spiritual power. They they may have lacked notoriety or fame or the attaboys of this world, but they received heavenly ovations that would deafen you. They may have lived with pain, but they know kind of the simple joy of having God with them. They may be dealing with lifelong battles of some sort, but they know that his grace is sufficient. They have no clue what God is doing in their life, and yet they sleep really well in his arms, knowing he's in control. Right The saints I admire, some who are still with us and some who've met their Creator already, friends, they have this deep sense of knowing that God is with them. It fuels them. It's what they want. They'll go anywhere, they'll do anything, just for one more, one more hit. One more taste of God being with them. There's an incredible quote that uh, Ray shared with me this week while I was talking about this message and kind of going through what my plans were and I hadn't been able to, it hadn't let me go yet. And so I'm gonna share it with you. It says this, most Christians prefer the better life of God's blessing over the better hope of his presence. Most Christians prefer the better life of God's blessing over the better hope of his presence. And it begs this question, what do you want out of this life? All the blessings of God, none of the pain. Here's the thing, we get that sometimes. God is so gracious to us that we live in relative comfort and ease some of the time. Or would you rather have his presence with you? And that's all the blessing you need. I'm saying yes, I'd like both please, okay? But I hope that if it came down to picking, I wanna be the kind of man And I want us to be the kind of people, Grace Covenant Church, that pick his presence with us over his blessings towards us. And so in chapter 39 of Joseph's saga, we get this, oh, I see what's happening here moment. I see what's going on. I'm supposed to take away something here, that God God was with Joseph. And so believe, friends, that the Lord is with you and trust him for success. And if you're in a hard time or a prison-like time in your life, rest in his steadfast love and his mercy. So we have this man, Joseph, right? So much promise, selected from an early age to lead. Given a, a vision of his life and these dreams, But he's betrayed by his own family, he spends more than a decade or so in slavery and prison, and Joseph, friends, he has no clue why this is happening no clue why this is happening he doesn't know all that's in the works and he doesn't know the end of the story he's had all of these amazing dreams of what he thinks is to come for his life and yet he's met with this set of circumstances for almost a decade and a half of his life he's a character in this play he hasn't read the full script and he sits not knowing having no clue what's happening behind the scenes. But the one thing we do know is the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And I'll plead with you today, men and women of grace, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're one of his disciples, Jesus Christ himself has promised you that his Holy Spirit is with you. He can indwell you. He can come alongside you. He can can help you. And I know that many of you, and I don't even know how many, are in dark places, the dungeons and prisons of this life, the slaveries of this world, sometimes by your own choices and sometimes by the choices of others. And you sit in it. And I want you to believe that the Lord is with you. And I want you to believe and I want you to live like it's true in the highs and lows of life, right? In the rises, and the, pro- the rise to prominence and the promotions and also the dungeons of hardship. The Lord is with you. His steadfast love and his mercy can sustain you. And friends, you, you want his presence. More than anything this, this world could offer you, you want his presence. And so for next week, Joseph, right? God's in jail or not God's in jail, Joseph's in jail. God's, well, I guess God is in jail, right? He's with him. I think that works. I think I didn't mess that up too theologically, right? God's with him in jail. He's not alone. But for how long? How long will the righteous suffer? God, are you you gonna intervene in this story or not? I know you're the main character, but what are you doing in these bit players' lives? And we'll save that for next week. Let me pray for us. father we uh we come before you god just humbled and amazed by the knowledge that you are with us god we dare not take it for granted and we dare not try to live this life apart from your presence with us we ask right now god that your holy spirit would take these truths and plant them deep in our hearts so that we might live in light of these kind of glorious realities and trust, God, that both in the successes of this life and the prisons of life, that you are, you are with us. We love you, Father. Thank you for the gift of your Son who has purchased for us the gift of your presence with us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.